Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This is Courtney Cronin-Dold, some chick who tells jokes. You're listening to Talking Metal. Hi, I'm Mark Striegel, host and producer of this show since 2005. On this episode, we're going to talk some rock, some metal, and anything else we feel like. We're also going to jam some tunes, have a drink, and share some honest opinions. Thanks for listening to the Talking Metal Podcast. Let's get things started. Hey, it's Mark Striegel. Welcome to another edition of Talking Metal. We have some very special guests on today's show, including author Julian Gill, our correspondent Joe Beck is going to be talking to him about Def Leppard, so stay tuned for that. And joining me right now is Courtney Cronin-Dold. Am I saying your name right, Courtney? You're saying it right. I'm trying to make my married name be a thing, but every comic I know and work with refuses to call me that. They're, I'm still <laughs> Courtney Cronin to right. them. <laughs> sure. Well, you know, let's let's talk about where we met recently. We actually met at the Rock and Pod Expo about a month ago in Nashville, Tennessee, which was just a really great event. I met so many great people out there, as I'm sure you did too. And we actually recorded an episode of Talking Metal while we were there, <laughs> but I, 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 you know, I texted you when we got home and it was just, it, it was, there was this other podcast going on on the main <laughs> stage while we were trying to record a podcast with you. And literally when I listened back to the audio, it was, it was, I mean, you could barely even hear us talking over these guys on stage who were literally shouting. <laughs> there were a few C-bombs dropped, F-bombs. Yeah. They, they they were hilarious. And then we kept, you and John and I kept stopping because we were laughing. Right, yeah. Because <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> uh, it was funny. And um, But yes, they those guys, they turned it up. So... But thank you for uh, making the time to have me back. I appreciate that. Yes, m- under much better circumstances, at least as far as uh, audio quality goes. So absolutely. How did you end up at the Rock and Pod Expo? Um, well, huh. well, I ended up there because I've performed um, stand up on uh, two of the Kiss cruises. I open up for Craig Gass. And um, I was lucky enough to meet some really terrific people this last uh, Kiss Cruise. I think I really made the most of six. Three, I was a little, didn't really know what to expect. And I kind of went into it as like a comedian writing jokes about Kiss. 
um, that weren't, you know, like making fun of anybody, right. but just were about the ship and about Kiss and about the other bands. And then I left that cruise at an average Kiss fan and was like catapulted into this other world of understanding the band and the fans and really what Kiss Army is. And it was like this really cool awakening because I like those people and yeah. I like that stuff. It is really fun for me. So that was awesome. And then when I came back for six, I had this very different point of view. So the material changed. My demeanor was different. I was more, t- I was more, uh, social yeah. and, and, and met more people cause I'm kind of, uh, shy in public. So I ended up just befriending a couple of these people. And, uh, and then when it came time for the expo, um, I was invited as a guest, I guess, to be a comedian, the comedian. I think I was the only comedian there officially. I think so yeah, and, that sounds right. Yeah. And then they were like, first they were like, uh, you should, we're going to have you do your stand up on stage at the expo. And I was like, uh, that is the worst idea ever. Just so you know, yeah. <laughs> there's nothing worse than doing stand up in a room where you don't have everyone's undivided attention. Sure. It, it just, it just does not work. You can't just stand up in the middle of a room and go, so you know what I hate, you know, like it can't, it's not going to work. So I was like terrified. I'm like, please don't make me do that. I won't come. So, um, so it, it ended up uh, being that I was invited to be on the pod kissed panel and we snuck the jokes in that way. Cool. And yes, I've been on podcast a few times, mm-hmm. so it, it was all fair and square. And, um, and that's why I was there longest story ever. No, that, no. And that was a great <laughs> panel. We really definitely enjoyed seeing and hearing you up there on that panel. When, when did you actually get into doing stand up? Oh, I started in like the mid nineties when I was still in college and yeah, so I started in Boston and then I started, I came to LA pretty early on and became a regular at the Laugh Factory and I was a house MC there for like four or five years, the first four or five years of my standup, which is the reason why I've missed so many concerts. Like people always ask me, when was the first time you saw Kiss and when was the first time you saw so-and-so? I'm like, um, like 12 years ago. 15 years ago, because when I was doing stand up all the time, I had shows on the every weekend and like four or five nights a week. I missed, I can't tell you how many times I remember looking at the LA Weekly and going, oh, I'm going to miss this. Right. Sure. <laughs> I missed so many concerts that I didn't get to see a lot of the bands I love until I got off the road. Wow. So I was late to the concert party and um, now I'm like fully immersed and I, I really love it. Is that the right word? Yeah. Um, I, uh, I go to a lot of shows. The Kiss Cruise definitely um, was an opportunity for me to see a bunch of bands that I've loved since high school, you know, like Night Ranger and Enough's Enough and, you know, bands that I've loved since then that I never got to see because I was busy telling jokes to drunk people. Right, right. Now, when you do stand up, being that you're a rock fan, is is obviously on the Chris, Kiss Cruise, you're going to be bringing in the the rock stuff into the stand up routine. But in general, do you tie that into your stand up? Are there jokes about rock bands or the rock lifestyle or anything like that? Yes, I do talk about being a music fan and a sports fan and kind of, you know, like nerdy in that way. And sometimes it connects with the audience and sometimes it just doesn't at all. And when it doesn't, I just move, I just move on to other stuff. But 
but I try to encourage, I mean, kiss is pretty universal. Like if you don't know who kiss is, then I don't know you, I don't know. I just can't imagine someone's like, who, you know, I've never had anyone say to me, who's kiss. Like that's just never happened. So if I do material about kiss, it has to be very general. I can't do like the jokes I do in the kiss cruise where I can make the most obscure reference and, and it'll get a laugh. And that is so, that is just way more fun. Right. Sure. It's just, it's just so much. That's why I like doing the podcasts because I can make all these like weird, obscure references and jokes and it's, you know, it's going to the right audience. It has a, it has a home as opposed to my act where I've tried this in the past and it's just like crickets. Yeah. <laughs> Total just crickets. Like one guy, like one guy one time at the comedy store got one of my weird random references and he just, he didn't even laugh. He just did the horns and was like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, there was no laughter. So, so now the comedy <laughs> store that that's uh, is that the one that Polly Shore's like mother owns or something? Is it? Yes. Okay. That's the one. Yes. Right. Which just an incredible history. I mean, Johnny Carson used to I frequent there when he was you know the biggest TV star in the world. I mean, just quite a history at that place. There is a lot of people say it's haunted. Really. And. Yeah. Yeah, there's always the stories about the ghosts of the comedy store because apparently there was like it was like a speakeasy downstairs. There were like a lot of uh, mafia murders. I don't know the proper. I don't know. I don't know the whole story. Like, but uh, but apparently it's haunted. Nice. So you mentioned podcasting. You Mm -hmm. don't technically have your own podcast. You do a lot of like guest spots and and co-hosting on on other podcasts, correct? Yes, I, I'm very um, frequently on pop with Ken right. okay. Mills. Let's talk mm-hmm. a little bit about that because I did listen to an episode and found it very interesting. Can you explain the concept behind pop? Well, in the beginning, Ken was just, you know, he his uh, podcasts were very limited in what he could talk about. He does zilch about the monkeys, right. cheap talk about cheap trick and podcast about kiss. So uh, he just had all these other things he really wanted to talk about. And he's a really intelligent guy. And he has a lot of interesting things to say. And and he's a funny guy. So he's like, I want to talk about what I want to talk about when I want to talk about it. And gosh, darn it, I'm going to do it. And that and that's pretty much what he he didn't say. Gosh, darn it. I don't know why I'm being so clean. Um, But I'm (laughs) (laughs) not like there's children nearby or anything. It's not like, you know, but um, so he just wanted to talk about the things that he was passionate about outside of those three bands that he loves so much. So we got to talking and the first time we connected, we connected through, uh, you know, Jody and Joe from podcast rock city. And the first time we talked, we talked on the phone for like three hours. Wow. We just, we just had an obscene amount of things in common. So at the end of the second time we spoke, which was like another two hours, I was in LA traffic, like going six miles, but it was like two hours. And I talked to Ken and then he's like, you know what? I want to do this podcast. Why don't you do it with me? So, uh, I did the first few shows with him and, and then we've kind of jumped around and had a lot of guests and I really enjoy talking about music the most. Right. That seems to be like where my heart is. And um, so we've done a bunch of power pop stuff, which has been really cool. There's also been some like pop culture type stuff too in that podcast. Am I, am I right about that? We, we have, we've done like a walking dead and then they did a, like a bat, a week of Batman. Like that was big for Ken when Adam West passed away. And and, uh, as it was for, I mean, all of his fans. So Ken, 
did a really nice episode about about him and and then they did a Star Wars one. I wasn't on that because I don't I didn't really have as much to contribute. There were just so many other people that had great stuff, you know. So I pop in when it's appropriate and uh usually it's when we're talking about music or something goofy. <laughs> Right on. Cool. And uh, why don't, on that note, why don't we hit some music and then we'll come back and continue our our conversation. What would you like to play for the Talking Metal listeners? Oh, I didn't know you were going to ask me that. Well, I'm trying to see. What was the last concert I saw? Uh, oh, you don't want to play that on your show. <laughs> yeah, just... well, you know, we're, we're, we do anything from like commercial hard rock to you know extreme heavy metal so you know night ranger enough's enough all those bands definitely fit under our umbrella here on talking metal all right well let's play enough's enough from their song from their new album it's called runaway cool here it is. i like that song we'll check it out right now on talking metal
on the Kiss Cruise was the first time I ever met Chip in person. Okay. And and, and the guys in the band and um, Dan, um, Tori, and Tony, who are very, very, very nice guys. And I uh, was like, you know, I work with like celebrities and stuff and I have to keep it cool. But like when I get around someone, you know, like I admire like whose music I really love, I turn into a 15 year old girl. Right. And when I first met Chip, I was like, oh my God, hi. You know, yeah. and uh, he he was so not he was the Mr. Conge- Congeniality of the Kiss Cruise, by the way, like everybody just loved him and he was so kind to everyone. And I remember he hugged me and gave me a kiss and he was so sweet. And um, after that, my friends were like, well, you know, are you they, I don't know, we like made a joke about it and it ended up making it into my act on stage where I kind of called Chip out. Um, on the last show, there was like we were in the main showroom where Kiss performed, and it and Craig packed the room. There were a lot of, I mean, it was probably like 800 people or something, or wow. maybe more. It was packed. It was big, and Chip's sitting right in the middle, and he's like seven. He's a tall guy, you know, and and he had his hat on, his got you know, so it was like boom, there he is. And I just pointed him out and told him how much I love him, you know, and and you know, and how he's like the ultimate rock star. And then I did a joke about you know, his sexual past and this and that and how after he kissed me and gave me a hug that I would, I would do anything with him that I would let him shit on my chest. (laughs) It's what what I said, which is very disgusting. But in, in the context of the joke at the time and and the vibe of the room, it worked. Right. And, and, um, and he took it very, very well and was an incredibly good sport. And so is his lovely wife, Kate. And, um, that's how I really got to like hang out with them and like get to know them because (laughs) I made, I made that joke. And so now now when I see them, they're so nice to me, of course, you know, because they're nice people, but they're like, ah, Courtney, you should introduce us. And I'm always like scared. So like, you know, because like I'm so not metal looking, I can't get up on the stage at the Rainbow and be like, "Hi, everyone!" You know. <laughs> so I wrote this intro for them, and it's kind of a long story. But the intro I wrote was, um, "This band is so hot, hookers pay them." Wow. And <laughs> they're hotter than this heat wave because it was so hot. Um, but a heat wave can't get you pregnant. Please welcome from Chicago. Enough's enough. So I obviously I didn't do it, but I told that to them afterwards, and. Uh, they got a kick out of it. So (laughs) (laughs) very cool. So Courtney enough's enough is a, is, is kind of at a real different place, at least for me. I mean, you know, for so long enough's enough was Donnie V and, and chips enough. And I really enjoyed seeing them recently with, with chip stepping up to the mic and kind of taking over that position of, of the front man However, there is still kind of something strange about it, you know, to not have Donnie V, the the guy who was the voice of that band and in some ways, you know, the primary songwriter of that band through throughout the years. Um what what are your thoughts on the current lineup and status of Enough's Enough? Um well, I'm super biased because I really like those guys yeah. uh personally and I've worked with them and you know on the cruise and um I also had never seen them with Donnie um still in the band. Right. So I um I really don't have anything to compare it to except for when, you know, I was in high school and watched videos 
But when I was, you know, young, my, me and my friends, we were all chip girls, you know, because there's sure. like, who do you like, Johnny or Chip? You know, and we were like, <laughs> Chip, you know, Chip is cool, you know. So and uh, and I love Chip as a frontman because, and I think his voice is great. It's so like, I mean, he's got like this rock and roll like grit, and like, is that the right word? Yeah, Where he's just totally. got this like, and it's sexy, and it's it, you know, it's it's um. Uh, I'm trying to think of the right word without like, I don't know. You guys describe this stuff so much better than me. I'm such a girl right now, but I really, I, I like his voice and I like the way he sings the songs. I think it sounds great, you know? And, and when you're watching them live, you don't, I mean, maybe at first people are a little bit like, Oh, this is different. And then they're like, Oh, I'm cool with this. This is great. You yeah. know, he just has but the right I attitude mean, when he's up there and the vibe and the attitude really just come across, you know? Oh yeah, he sells it, and he um, he's also really funny. Like he's funny, and he's so funny that sometimes he's funny when the audience doesn't even know know right. he's being funny. <laughs> but I think he's hysterical. I mean, the first thing he does, he walks on stage, the music starts loud, and the first thing Chip says to the audience, if it's you know the right kind of venue, he says, "Showtime, you motherfuckers." Yeah. <laughs> And it makes me laugh every single time. Like I laugh for like a minute and then I have to, you know, stop laughing so I can listen to, to baby loves you. So yeah. <laughs> it's, um, but, uh, I love him up front. I think it's great. I, I don't think anybody is going to dispute that. The ship is just like, I mean, he's driving the ship and it's, it's been, it's great. Yeah. I, I, love I agree. It. I agree. And in a way it breathes, like fresh air, fresh life into this, into this band um, to have him, you know, step into that front man position. I really think uh, it's, it's exciting. I mean, I, I, I'm really hoping they continue on for, for a while because I thought they, uh, you know, the, the last record had a lot of old Donnie V stuff on it, but there was that, that one song that was new. I can't remember the name. Um, Dog on a bone. Yeah, that was great. That was a great song. It was it is good. They played it. Um, I just saw them like a couple of weeks ago and they played it. Uh, they had some time left at the end of their set and they just, they threw it in. And I was really glad because it's, I like it live. It's fun. It's a fun song live. And, um, I like that that's chips song. Like it's his voice. It's right. his song, you know? And, um, and their show is great. Actually, I felt so bad for them. They, they were here during the heat wave and they did this afternoon show and I went with my girlfriends right. and um, it, and when we got there, we were watching the temperature go from 93 at the beach where we live to 101. Wow. And the venue's half indoor, half outdoor. It's called the Slide Bar. Yeah. And um, it's in Fullerton and it's owned, ah, it's owned by the guy from the band uh, Lit. I think that's the name of the band. Okay. Oh, I'm so oh, uncool. Yeah. I, yeah, I know. Lit, they were more like a 90s, like, is that? Yeah. yeah okay. I, I sort of know yeah. what you're talking about. I'm pretty I'm pretty sure that's it. I'm yeah. I should double check before saying, but yeah, so he they play they play I've seen them there before and it's a really cool venue. It's a really cool place. I like it there. And anyway, it was half indoor, half out, and the only like cooling in the showroom area was like a couple of fans. Yeah. And they, they still played the same as they would you know what I mean? I was so like I just, I was hot and I was just standing, Yeah, you know? And I was like, wow, <laughs> like they still, Deliver. you know, really, 
they delivered. Yeah, they really awesome. did. And I was like, oh my God, they're all going to drop dead after this. And, um, you know, and it was, it was a fun show. And it was like, every time I go to a show, if I lose my friends and I'm by myself at any point, the same thing always happens to me. I always have a murderer fan. Have any other women music <laughs> fans ever told you this before? No, no. Okay. So this happens to me at Kiss. This happened to me big time at the Ace Fraley show in, in January last year uh, or this year. And uh, I always get some dude who just feels like we're best friends. Yeah. And we'll just come up next to me. Not it's not a sexual thing. It is a hey, we're pals. And we'll put his arm around me or start dancing near me and singing with me. And I call him murderer fans because this guy that always does this looks like he's definitely killed someone. <laughs> it is not a friendly looking no. fellow. Right. It's, it's always, always a different something. guy, but always the same sort of vibe about him. Yes. Like, I killed someone. Not serial killer killed someone. Like, I had to stab him because <laughs> you wouldn't get off my driveway kind of killed someone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, nice. So, yes. So, anyway. But the shows were great. And then they played the rainbow. They totally rocked the place. Like, it was amazing. There was a zillion people there. It was a really cool day. And uh, they were they had two hot girls on stage dancing. And it was it was great. They had a killer set there. Cool. So that was fun. And then and then Dawkins was on after them. And, and that was great. And it was so Mark, you'll you'll appreciate this. Um, so my friends, I don't look metal for the listeners that don't know who I am, which is probably everyone except you and John. Right. But um, I don't dress that way. Like I'm very like I wear a black dress and a jean jacket everywhere. I'm always wearing all black. I look like I'm mourning the loss of my youth. Like I don't know. <laughs> I do not look cool. I'm very like, hey, everybody. Like I don't have tattoos. I don't wear cool clothes. Anyway, so I don't look metal. So as a joke, I, I do a lot of hidden camera. I've worked on 13 hidden camera series and pilots and I get hired as a consultant to do okay. pranks for things. So, um, that's, and I try not to make it mean spirited. I always do it in a goofy, silly, fun way. And, uh, so one of the things I was doing at the rainbow, just cause I was bored, like, cause we got there so early, I uh, was walking around and I kept saying, <laughs> I bump into people I knew and they'd, and they'd be like, oh, what are you doing here? And I was like, oh, I came to say, see Enough's Enough and Dokin. <laughs> and they're like, who? And we're like, oh, we're here to see Dokin. And they're like, you mean Dokin? I'm like, whatever. It's, I thought it was Dokin. They're like, no. Or I'd go up to some guy in a Dokken t-shirt or with like a jacket that just has like Don Dokken's sperm on it. Like he's such a fan. Like it's just like <laughs> Dokken out. And I'd go up and be like, hey, I, are you a Dokken fan too? And they're like, what? <laughs> yeah. Huh? Which to, to, be, to people who are fans of, of this music and, and I mean, that's 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 offensive, you know, <laughs> no, they, the first they were like, what the fuck? And then they just like got it. And then they're like, OK, ha ha. Right. You know? <laughs> but it just kept making me laugh. So I just I did it to like 10 people. <laughs> that's awesome. It's awesome. It was fun. It was fun. Cool. Well, I tell you what, right now we're going to get into a little chat on Def Leppard with, with Julian Gill, who was also out at the, the pod expo we were out, we were at last, uh, last month. Julian has written a, a bunch of great kiss books and he's also written a great book on Def Leppard. And this conversation is primarily about that, about Def Leppard. So let's, 
get into a little Def Leppard, and then we'll hear Talking Metal correspondent Joe Beck talking with author <laughs> Julian Gill. This is Billy's Got a Gun from 1983 off Pyromania by Def Leppard, followed by a conversation with Julian Gill.
Thanks for joining Talking Metal. Today, our guest is author extraordinaire and all-around renaissance man, Julian Gill, who's also the admin for KISS FAQ. Julian, thanks for joining us today. Oh, you're very welcome, and thank you very much for having me. I love that introduction, renaissance man. I think um, my proof-editing people would disagree with that, but I like it anyway. Well, it definitely applies because you've written some outstanding books. One in particular is definitely in my top 10 rock reads, and in my estimation, the second best Kiss book ever written, which is The Odyssey, and it's your account with uh, fellow author Tim McFate, correct? That's right. Yeah. Tim was the primary leading light for quite a period of time on the KISS FAQ and gave birth to two wonderful projects, the Genese Paul and Peter book, or Peter and Paul, pardon me, and of course Odyssey, which, you know, I love Odyssey. And I thank you very much for the kind words on his behalf as well. It was a labor of love. I think we uncovered some very cool information for that era of the band. Uh, and, you know, 1981 was a really cool year. So uh, thank you again. Yeah, so if you're out there, and, and at the end of the interview, we will uh, give Julian's contact information and how you can get his books. But the Odyssey book is fantastic. If you're a Kiss fan, it's a must-read. If you're a music fan, it's also a must-read. What I want to focus on today is a uh, Def Leppard. You wrote a book back in 2008, correct? That is right. I just had to look inside the cover of the book. And uh, yeah, 2008, I went all in and decided to do a non-Kiss book. And uh, I thought of what's my other favorite band, Def Leppard. All right. So what what inspired you to read, write the book? The, the, name of the, the name of the book is Leopard Tracks. And it is a thoroughly extensive journal and record of the band's history from 1977 to 2008. We're talking... Band changes, uh, lineup relationships, concerts, recordings, con- everything, uh, touring. It, what what inspired you to put such work in the into this book? As you've just described it as touring, as this, as records, as that. You know, it really is a potpourri of. Def Leppard's history. What I wanted to do and what inspired me was the guys who've done the Kiss books, the really, really good Kiss books, Kiss Alive Forever, the touring history, uh, behind the makeup, behind the mask, pardon me. always mix that one up. And I, I wanted to really dig into it and kind of like have the touring history, have little vignettes about the songs or uh, some of the historical um, important pieces of history in Def Leppard's history. Just without having a straight biography, you know, that there had been a couple in the mid 80s or around hysteria, actually. And, you know, they'd done a a good enough job, a bit like the books on Kiss had in the 70s. So I wanted to do kind of a a Dale Sherman black diamond for Def Leppard. Okay, And and you do it well. You brought up Kiss Alive Forever. And this is quite a bit like that. But I think it's even more uh, thorough in some respects about the band now. On August 3rd of this year, it marked the 30th anniversary of Hysteria, which is a milestone album that I, quite frankly, think gets ignored way too much. I mean, it sold 25 million copies. The period... It can't get ignored. You know, it, yeah. it should be so much more on a pedestal. I mean, everyone has a copy. When we talk about these big albums in history, you've got Dark Side of the Moon. You've got um, The Wall. You've got probably Michael Jackson's Thriller. 
and right. Def Leppard's Hysteria. I mean, it, it's, I probably missed one, like uh, an Eagle's Greatest Hits or something. But, you know, they are the biggest albums, the biggest rock albums of all time. Yeah. And if you don't hear something off Hysteria on the radio every day, then something's wrong with the world. Exactly. Now, I'd like to go back. So my history with Def Leppard is I, I discovered them right from the beginning. They were part of the new wave of British heavy metal. And once I heard Rock Brigade and they came over to the States, I, I saw them open up for Ted Nugent. And then they played, they headlined another show later that year at the Aragon Ballroom where they played a longer set. And they actually played the uh, Rock Rock Till You Drop, but it was a different title at the time. And you probably can know what it was called back then. But it was, it, I, I was really a big fan of, of the uh, High, On Through the Night album. Then High and Dry came out, and that's one of my top 10 albums of all time. I just think it's phenomenal. Then it's interesting you brought up Michael Jackson's Thriller because that was the only album to eclipse Pyromania when that was released, and then the band became huge. So now we go back to fascinating periods of bands' histories, and we mentioned your Odyssey book about the fascinating period of the uh, the history of Kiss, but I think even more interesting is the 1984 to 87 period of Def Leppard, which you document quite well. Can you go into that lead lead into the recording of Hysteria? I, I think the recording of Hysteria is just an incredibly enticing period. And, you know, with the Def Leppard um, Hysteria deluxe box that's come out, you, you get so much of the recordings, you know, the B-sides and everything that were an important part of that period. I got into rock basically with Pyromania. Okay. And worked my way back. So I'm coming in from, you know, it was impossible in 1983 to not be affected by Pyromania. You had Pyromania, you had Thriller, and you had Quiet Riots, Metal Health. So, I mean, it was an incredible year for, you know, those big successful albums. And just imagine the band coming off that tour in 1984. They've they've broken. This is what they've been waiting for. They haven't broken in England um, their home country, of course, but in the rest of the world, they're megastars. They've gone touring through Southeast Asia of all places, which very few bands get to do, come off the road, get ready to start making some music on the second album. And then, of course, the Rick thing happens. And that's right. what's so central to my interest in this band. And Joe said it, go back and listen to the copy of Viva Hysteria, you know, when he introduces Undefeated. For me, that's what this band represents and what makes them so appealing across the decades. I'm a guy who got into the band in 83. They were one of my first hard rock bands, and I've stayed with them ever since, through X, through Euphoria, through Slang. I've loved the journey that they've taken me on. But the journey of getting between Pyromania Hysteria is one of the most fascinating ones. I remember reading the rock magazines at the time, and you were just looking for any news. I mean, is Rick going to do it? You know, is he, what are they going to do? They, they've got a one-armed drummer. And then you start hearing the stories about he's working on an electric kit. He's kind of learning how to drum in his new configuration. You hear little snippets of the band talking about songs that they're working on. And it turned into a several-year wait, which in the mid-'80s was unheard of, really, between rock albums so for me that's the adventure that yeah. it was like a soap opera it was an unknown it was like king's quest it was oh just everything wrapped up for a 13 year old mind to get around that really kept you hooked on death leopard when really they should have faded away after the success and nothing to follow it up with for years and then they drop hysteria on the world and double down right and, and 
And they did double down. So back to Rick Allen. He had the the unfortunate accident where he lost his arm. His comeback and the fact that his friend Joe Elliott backed him is the most amazing rock story ever. I, I mean, the only thing that I could, comes to mind is Tony Iommi chopping his fingers off and then continuing to play with those prosthetic tips. I mean, it's just such an inspiration. The guy lost his arm. And I remember reading an interview with um, with Phil Collins saying the guy can't even tie his shoes or get out of a chair properly, but he still plays drums very well with one arm. And the fact they stuck with him and he, he was able to over, overcome that and then go on to record one of the greatest selling albums of all time is just an absolutely amazing story. Yeah, I was reading an interview the other day. I think it's uh, maybe an old guitar magazine with uh, Phil and Steve, and they were talking about the first time they went into the hospital. You know, they, they kind of stopped by the pub to gird their loins to go in to see their bandmate, who was – remember how young he was as well. This this is the thing with Rick Allen that's so impressive. I mean he was just a kid yeah. at, when he joined the band. Well, you know, what was he, 15 when he joined? Right. And, and here he is. You know, He's had a taste of the success, and now he's lying in a hospital bed. They've tried, they've reattached it. It's not worked. Um, I think he was at risk with the other arm as well. It was was damaged. But Phil and Steve in this interview recount going into his hospital room and finding someone who wasn't depressed, who wasn't woe with me, was kind of happy because Rick had figured out he wasn't done from tapping his foot across, you know, on the end of the bed or something. Uh, you'd really have to track down the interview to uh, read it word for word to get the appropriate thing because translating it, um, you know, ad hoc isn't going to quite do justice to what they said. So they find this chap in bed who's not defeated, who's not going to quit. And the band standing by him. I mean, this is rock and roll. This is the same band that, you know, a little more than a year earlier had given Pete Willis the elbow. Right. Yeah. So there you, there you have two challenging interpersonal issues, one obviously very different from the other. But in one case, they weren't afraid to get rid of a band member and another one where they were willing to go back into the studio and see what they had to work with and keep working while Rick figured out what he was going to do. Was he going to be able to do it? Was he not? And that was, the, again, you know, one of the most exciting things that made it a soap opera worth following in the mid-80s was, is Rick going to – do it is he going to be able to come back you hear you know little reports in the in circus and hip parader and what we were kerrang at the time while we were reading you know is rick gonna do it and by golly he certainly did yeah he did now you mentioned the band doubling down the first thing that comes to mind is the five million dollar expense recording this album i know they went they they originally they, they they couldn't get Mutt Lane correct because he was booked with another project. Yeah, there there were all sorts of scheduling issues throughout the project, the delays, the aborted effort of working with Steinman. Right. I mean, I, I would love to have heard what happened with those. You know, that that was one of my complaints with this deluxe set that we still don't have demos. And you know, I do think Joe said that everything with Steinman was recorded over, but I would just love to get some idea of how that worked. So they didn't get to work with him. Um, it was millions of pounds in the studio. And I think it was actually five million copies they had to sell to break even. Yeah. So, but then the the time lag actually worked in their favor because Mutt Lang was able to come back into the fold and create hysteria. 
to help create hysteria. Yeah, Abs- absolutely. Um, so it does work in their favor. It gives Rick the breathing time he needs in order to really start perfecting how he's going to be, you know, the bionic man, half electronic kid, you know, very much electronic kid, and retrain his brain to what he used to do with his arm to do now with the foot and adjust the sound accordingly. So it was very much a beneficial thing that the scheduling and the the incident kind of all worked out that uh, they had these extra years to play with. Right. And, right. For, so, and, and, for, and for the sort of album that they're constructing, you know, it wasn't going to be one of those quick and dirty albums anyway. I mean, they were, Mutt was going full on with them moving on from what he had done with Pyromania by that time, which remember he uh, pretty much did electronic drums on that. So yeah, hysteria, right. in terms of the drums, wasn't a vastly different creature. He was just doing multiple layers on guitars and, you know, spending a week on one, one note. Yeah, that sort so, of thing. So I'd like to go into the tracks and then then from there talk about the uh, anniversary package that was released. I just remember when this album came out, I was pissed. I I was hoping more for a direction back to the high and dry, maybe staying with the pyromania. What I heard was just a bunch of electronic pomp and circumstance. But now in hindsight, when I listen to this album. There is a lot of uh, lot of beauty in it, and particularly the song "Hysteria." Even when the, even when it came out, and I was not happy with the recording because I was hoping more for back to the hard rock roots. I found "Hysteria" to be just a beautiful song, and I wanted your thoughts on "Hysteria" as a song, as a piece of work. That song itself has grown on me. I, I'm going to admit that my 14 year old self was not a big fan of that when I first heard it. Um, I was back, where was I living? I was back in America at that time when it came out. I'd just come back from Asia. I remember picking up the album in uh, Los Angeles on my way back to New York and putting it in my Walkman. And the first things, obviously, you hear are women. Oh, my gosh. I I was like, okay, this is a natural progression from pyromania for me. As you get deeper into the album, you do get into some of the more diverse material, you know, the, the pour some sugar, but hysteria really stuck out like a sore thumb back then. And it was one that I didn't particularly care for, but over the years, it's just become, it's the odd man out on that album. And it, and it really does stand out. It stands, you know, separate to the rest of it. And it encompasses so many different kind of views of the word of the meaning, um, you know, all good rock and roll is about double entendres, and you know it's a very understated one. Yeah. So you know, it, it's it's a great it's a great track, but it's a very poignant one at this point, especially as we look back thirty years after the release of the album. And every time they play it live, it is so powerful. And one of my favorite performances, actually, and anyone can go online right now, they did a uh, crossover with Taylor Swift oh, of yeah. all people, and I absolutely loved it. I I just thought it was just a great rendition. But it's a it's a great song. Now I wanted your opinion on on it. I find it to be as more I listen to it, and and I believe one time they played they they actually segued into Heroes by David Bowie. The chord progressions are very similar to Heroes. Is there any <laughs> word that they took the song Heroes from Bowie and manipulated it into the song Hysteria? You know I've never read anything about that being okay. the case. But you know what? This is Def Leppard. Um, Look at their influences. Their influences they wear as a proud badge on their sleeve. They've never been shy of 
being proud of where their influences come from. So what better one? If you're going to, you know, who, who is it that said, is it Paul Stanley? You're going to steal, steal <laughs> yeah. from the best. Right. And you probably knew where I was going with the moment oh, yeah. I uh, yeah. started to say that. Yeah. Well, you know, any band is the same. And just look at the influences that Def Leppard were blessed to have uh, had in Britain, in England in the 1970s. Uh, yeah. So heroes, you, you're not going to have a better, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> song to, to borrow to Nick. Exactly. Um, the next song I wanted to talk about, and I'm, I'm still not a big fan of it, but it, it's, it, it's extremely important because it went number one. It's Love Bites. And the interesting thing about the song is that I have read that it started more as a country song, which is interesting because Mutt Lang went from the Hysteria Project into country music in the 90s with Shania Twain and even elevated himself hire as a as a uh, producer so i'd like some thoughts on the song love bites from you well as it comes and that is what i read when i was researching for the book that you know it had come out of an idea country based song that mutt had that the, the band liked enough to um take the time to turn it into a Def leopard song so i wasn't shocked years later when he started doing crossover and working more with other bands obviously um you know other other artists the one you mentioned in particular. Right. I wasn't surprised when um, Def Leppard themselves worked with Tim McGraw or um, or Taylor, of course, on right. on, on those. And be, because it had somewhat become in vogue to do so, but I thought they had a lot more legitimacy for doing so because they already had those influences throughout their music in a less contrived manner than, say, Bon Jovi, which you know that just smacked of you know someone with a calculator. Right. Rather than it being a natural thing of we're inspired by this song, we're working with our producer, we like it, we're going to work with it. Love Bites is absolutely fantastic. I loved that the first time I heard it. I love it today. I, I, I've never cha- had a negative thought about that song. I think it's one of the strongest songs on the album, actually. Excellent. Any other standout songs for you personally on the album? Because another th- interesting thing about the album is... It was one of the first, if not the first, where it was recorded specifically for the CD format. So Mutt Lang wanted it to go an hour long, not thinking about vinyl, thinking more about CD. So there's a lot of tracks on there. What are, what are the other standouts for you? I always thought at the time that it better be sixty over 60 minutes because they've kept us waiting so bloody long. Right. But uh, my, my top song off the album is, has, and always will be Gods of War. Okay. That that is my one. I'm I'm big on the more rocking songs, you know, Women, Animal, Gods of War. Yeah. And Love and Affection. Okay. Go figure. Um, you know, th- those are my top picks. But if I have to take one song with me to the grave, it's going to be Gods of War. I was listening to that listening today. To that today from the Viva Hysteria, and it still hits me. It's got a message. It's you know. Just a grand, grand. I mean, it's Queen on steroids in terms of, you know, being a, a grandiose composition with a with a fantastic lyric. Love and, it. And Gods of War was Steve Clark's showcase song on that tour, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. and unfortunately, this was Steve Clark's last album with the band. Can you speak yeah, a little but, bit about that? Yeah, the, you know, there's always been a little bit of a debate about how much Steve is on there. Yeah, you know, and and I think he's probably on there enough, but um, impossible to know. I think Phil has said some things that kind of um, 
you know, make it clear that he wasn't as present as he had been as he, you know, started his decline. Right. But if this is, you know, a song to take as, you know, one of his really final major, com- you know, contributions to the band, well, there's no better song really to have, not unless it comes off high and dry, but right. you know, that's, that's a completely different beast. Yes. Yes, it is. Um, we've got to talk about pour, pour Some Sugar On Me because it's the classic. And if you've been to a gentleman's club, it's always a staple on the playlist. Some thoughts on that. I, I, I've heard that it was the last song recorded for the album. Is that correct? That's my understanding is mm-hmm. that, you know, they were ready to mix, ready to turn it over. And Joe comes into the studio with an idea and Mutt Latch is on to it. it. I mean, it could be vice versa, but, you know, that's how late it is that they say, no, we're going to go in. And, you know, I think it took them two weeks to record that song at the end of the session. So very last one. And it gets thrown on the album. Yeah. And. Later on, it becomes a little bit more important, especially in the United States. You know, they, they come out with the first single, and it's okay. You know, you, you have the kind of Def Leppard is back. They're still around. They've survived all this drama. You get the second single, and okay. Eventually, you get to Pour Some Sugar On Me. It goes to number one. Yeah. It, it really kicks that album in the pants, and it turns it from, you know, I think it was at four million at that point, maybe three and really puts it over the top. So in terms of its importance to the album, to the band's legacy, you know, and what better song to have than one that is still played in gentlemen's clubs to this day, (laughs) one that still makes you smile. I mean, it probably makes some people cringe to a certain extent. It did me back then. I was like, oh God, another Run DMC Aerosmith type of song. But it's Um, a song that everyone knows. You know, know, it's interesting because there's, Certain songs where you know where a band is huge, like when I when I saw ACDC and you see an Afri- a young African American lady working as a concession in the concessions, and she's knows back in black. You know that song is huge, right? Or uh, if you, cr- you know, cr- crossover is what makes the world yeah, go around. And like I when mean, I so, any song like this that just has an indelible footprint on the psyche of pop culture. There's very few bands that get to really enjoy something that everyone really knows. That if it's played, you know, you get a smile out of someone. There's so few bands that can enjoy that. And Def Leppard is so lucky to have several of those songs in their Exactly. Catalog, but pour, pour some this. sugar on me. I've noticed that when I saw them the last two tours, you see every person from every age group, uh, you know, ethnic background, they know the song. And it's it's part of part of our society so you know it's a huge song well, and, well f- figure this it's not one of my favorite songs on the album has never been it comes on whether it's on the radio whether it's on my ipod when i'm walking i start singing along i have it's a pavlovian response to something that means it's special to me yeah whether i like it accept it acknowledge it it's special right exactly so moving on the the, the album sells 25 million copies i saw them on the tour they had the in the round, in the round stage which was very cool, but I was disappointed that the only throwback song they really played was um, Bringing on the Heartbreak, and they didn't even go in the switch after that. So as far as the playlist, I was disappointed. As far as the production, it was amazing, and it was a huge tour and a huge album. So moving forward, we are now in the 30th anniversary of this milestone, and they released a anniversary package. 
I would like you to talk about that. I, I have not received it yet, but I know you have. Can you give a Can you give a review about the package and, and what they released? Yeah, absolutely. You know what? I, I said online that I was not going to buy this because I bought the 2006 deluxe edition of Hysteria, and I had in the round on DVD. When I looked through one of the videos that had, um, I guess, an overview of the box, I went out and ordered the Hysteria deluxe box and it is absolutely outstanding everything that you could hope about in a package is contained in this package and i was in the store yesterday and they have the other versions that just have the uh the audio from denver along with the remastered album but you open up this box get a poster you get a big book of hysteria beautifully done wonderfully put together you know all the sorts of reading that you want to do to relive the time in a you know nice DVD sized book, absolutely fantastic. Ross Halfin's photo portraits of Hysteria, and and again these are all beautifully printed, wonderfully put together, great layouts. You know Ross, you know Halfwit does good photos, simple as that. So it's great to have anything like that separate. Um, one of the things I particularly liked in the box is the reproduction European UK tour book. I was big on tour books back in the day. Yeah. Since I, I got to some a few shows, they did it. They reproduced it right down to the foldouts, which I, I just thought that sort of attention to detail and to doing it right. Uh, they have the die cut front cover as well. You know, just nice attention to detail and a discography. I've got one bone to pick about their discography. Okay. It's uh, it's a very good effort. Um, it's missing one thing I really think should be in there. There was this wonderful Japanese biography released um, promotionally for the Hysteria album, and it's not, I, I haven't noticed it listed in there. That would be my only criticism of it. But again, very well done. And I'm getting high here, smelling the ink. So <laughs> uh, as you get into the rest of the, the package – um, all this, all the CDs and DVDs are housed in little, you know, flip sleeves. That's become the uh, the style of today. Right. Um, the remastered album in the first one. I'm, I'm not a big fan that they separated the in the round audio into two separate, you know, flips instead of doing it as a gatefold. But you know, that's just that's neither here nor there. That's just a, a minor thing. The B sides. You know, the vast majority have been issued already. They were released on um, the 2006 Deluxe Edition. So what they've done is they've um, dug up that additional, you know, mix of Rocket, the extended lunar version. Some of the um, edits, you know, they're, they're pointless. I, I'm guilty of collecting them, so I think it's, uh, you know, it's it's fine. Sure. You get most of the live stuff from Tilburg. Um, so, you know... How is it? I, I was impressed. I, you know, here, here's a guy who said, "Why? Well, how many copies of Hysteria do I already own? Do I need it? No. Could I resist it? No. So I, I went out and got it. Once I got it home and uh, unboxed it, I, I was very impressed. I, I was, you know, the, any person who's been a fan of a band to the level that they've written a book about it is going to have some criticisms. I mean, it doesn't have all the B-sides. Yeah. Simple as that. It, it's missing elected and there may be licensing. I could do without the audio for in the round. I'd rather have the Tilburg show okay. or something from 86 when, you know, Rick first comes out. I don't know what they have um, available to Universal. And again, there may be other rights issues that affect all that sort of stuff. I'd rather have a Blu-ray of in the round in there as well, you know, so 
But now, as far as celebrating the album, I, I don't think you could do any better. It, it really is a very good job. And even with my minor criticisms, you know, maybe down the road, 40th anniversary, I'll get those. Yeah. So now I'm trying to think of the timeline. Tear It Down, that was released after Hysteria? Or no, that was, one of, that was one of the B-sides. It was one of the B-sides, correct. Okay. Yeah. Is is this on, is, is it on the anniversary? Yeah, yeah. It's in, okay. It's, in, it's included on the B-sides okay. uh, disc and just having to dig through the box here while we, while we talk. And, right. Uh, you know, try and find which one it is. Um, I, I didn't mention the DVDs, actually. And you, you've got classic albums, all the bonus material, uh, Hysteria, Acoustic, you know, very, very good stuff. Again, it's down to personal kind of taste of, well, there's a lot of Japanese TV stuff from that period that I would love to see in mint quality on official release. But you get Top top of the Pops, Animal, Pour Some Sugar on Me, Rocket, yeah. uh, the Brits performance. It's a crying shame that Tear It Down from the MTV Music Awards in 89 wasn't on there. I was about um, to ask that. Okay. All right. Yeah. You know, right. that, that's one of those ones. Again, it's probably rights related. Yeah. But with that being – I think that was Steve's last TV appearance with the band. You know, it, it really closes out the hysteria era since it went through 89. Right. Before before you get into Adrenalize, that it would have been nice as somewhat of a coda again. But uh, – you know, not the end of the world that it's there. They have all the promo videos. And uh, all right, I'm looking for the B-sides. So disc three, disc two, there. First song disc on uh, disc two is Tear It Down. Excellent. So, all right. You know, I'm, I'm still listening through these to make sure they're not the uh, atrocious, um, you know, retroactive versions that are all modified with stuff that really shouldn't be on there. Right. But, uh, and, and it's got everything that you need. Right. Simple as that. Great review. All right, back to the book. Have any of the band members read it? I've, I've always wondered because the books are great. And like with the Odyssey book, um, Eddie Trunk mentions it, and you, you know you find out that some certain members have read it. Have any members of Def Leppard read uh, Leopard Tracks? I, I was told that one member had indeed leafed through it and had um, suggested that it uh, – it was a pretty decent effort, <laughs> which pretty you know, decent, do, really. Okay. Yeah, you know, when 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 you do an unofficial project that's yeah. unsanctioned by any major band that they don't have um, editorial control over, that they don't have input in into, and you know they don't make money off because come on, they're a business, right? Um, you do skirt a fine line. So if if I hear back, you know that okay, it's all right, I'll take it. Simple as simple as that. In, in terms of, of um, I'd rather that than I hate it. This guy should be, you know, put in the <laughs> yeah. stock in the stocks overnight and yeah. with rotten vegetables. I, I figure if you get pretty decent from these guys with huge egos, and that's that's pretty good review. I'd be happy with that. You know, and the I, guys in the band who count to me. You know, when when we're talking about going straight back to the history yeah. of the band to '77, are obviously Rick, Joe, and and Rick. Yeah. So you know, Phil and Viv are, are there for you know however long each of them have been there. You know, Viv since '92, and uh, you know Phil since '83. Yeah. But you know. It's it's not about egos. These these guys have always struck me, and I've never met any of them individually, one on one. Okay. Um, I really, after meeting Kiss, I have no desire to meet any of my other uh, favorite rock bands 
because it's just nice to have that separation between what I do and what they do. Okay. But none of them strike me as egotistical maniacs that are so uh, thin-skinned that they can't take a little bit of constructive, you know, writing that I may do about things. Right. They may disagree with it, and you know, that's fair. I'm they're glad the ones who lived it. I'm glad you brought up the business aspect because that was my transition to, to the final part of this interview. Def Leppard is still going very strong, and they're probably making just as much money, if not more money, than they did back in the day. I mean, I, I believe they topped out in the top 50 earners uh, last year, and they constantly tour. Joe Elliott has a very interesting um, deal with Universal. Do you know anything about that? Where he, I mean, Universal owns the music, but he owns the... The content, the ability to release it. So at one point he pulled everything off of iTunes and it's still not on there. Do you know anything about that? I mean, it's pretty pretty interesting the power he has over their music collection. Um, I, I don't know the details. Okay. All I, all I know is that someone who does know something about the business workings in the industry that Joe's got the perfect arrangement. That yeah. nothing does get out that he doesn't approve of. And, you know, do you remember several years ago, I, I think we're probably going back closer to a decade now, that uh, deluxe editions were announced for On Through the Night and High and Dry and they disappeared. So right. um, if things are going to happen, they have to be done right. There are too many cases where bands have product flogged by the labels that do nothing to benefit the bands. Now, Let's get into the other side of what you were saying about how they seem to be doing well, uh, well live and you know doing very well on the, the concert grosses. That doesn't mean that they're getting a ton of money out of those because the whole industry has changed a lot. Sure. But hopefully, hopefully they are performing well enough in this modern environment. That, you know those hundred dollar tickets that that sell these days that you know annoy us all when we try and just get a, a ticket to a concert. You know the the artist doesn't get a hundred bucks. Simple as that. Right. You know, they do well, but their costs are higher. Their you know insurance is higher. Everything is higher these days. So, oh yeah, I I, I hope they're able to continue to tour and want to tour. Well, they that. just announced um, they're going to go out again next year and play the entire Hysteria album as a tribute to the 30th anniversary. At that time, it will be a 31st anniversary. But they just made that announcement the other day that they're going to go back on tour once again. So, yeah, it seems like they are doing well, which brings me to my final question for you. The book was completed in 2008. You have Joe Elliott's uh, arrangement with Universal. Um, they released new material over that time, and they've toured quite a bit. Uh, there's the whole argument that they should well it's not even an argument they should be in the rock and roll a hall of fame already and a bunch of other things are you going to write a sequel no i won't do it okay. i won't do a sequel to i this. mean you I've could got, I, you could I've write a, a book I've just got, about I've got, a second, <laughs> I've got a second edition that's uh okay you know, i've been work i've been working on since 2008 i never stopped working on these things All right um you know i've uncovered a bunch more tour dates from the early period i mean you could write a book alone on their cruise that they had last year with the storm and the passing away of jimmy bain that that would be one book as in itself so um yeah so so it would it's going to be leopard tracks with additional contact contents is that what 
Yeah, it, it would it would be a second edition. I think okay. I would probably prune out all the non-leopard discography stuff that I had okay. and just just prune it back to pure um, Death Leopard. None of the associated stuff. Maybe change the the bio sections for where all the non-original members came from. Um, just to streamline it, I've completely revamped the touring history so that it is very much a Kiss Alive Forever type set list concert grosses, attendances, and newspaper reviews. I mean, I've got hundreds of reviews now um, assembled. So I, I think in terms of the criticism, you, know, you have to remember this book was very poorly received publicly. It did not do well. It did not sell well. I've left it in print simply because there's not been anything better that's come along. So you know, that's a challenge to anyone out there who's been working on a project. Get it done. Get it out there. And you know, I, I will pull this book happily if someone does something better. But um, so, everybody listening to this show, please, it's on Amazon, correct, Julian? Yes, it yeah, is. So, on Amazon. so go to go to Mark's uh, Talking Metal Amazon link on the page and pick up Leopard Tracks. Julian, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you and and to find your books? Um. You know what? If you just punch my name into the internet, you okay. will find thousands of links for me. You know, I'm over at thekissfaq.com, obviously, and you know that's my primary home these days. I'm also on Facebook. Again, put a punch in my name, and uh, you'll either see an idiot, or actually, that idiot will probably be me. <laughs> all right, and then so in all the books are on Amazon, correct? Yes, that's right. And they're all on uh, the Kindle and iTunes platforms. No, I don't do iTunes anymore. Okay. It doesn't work. It's just uh, Kindle, and there is an iTunes, uh, there's an iTunes app for that, okay. and physical on Amazon, and um, that that's your one place for those books. Great. Well, Julian, I can't thank you enough for joining us, um, and people out there, uh, once again, it's a, it's a milestone album, 30th anniversary of Def Leppard's Hysteria. Julian, thanks for joining us and talking Def Leppard. Joe, thanks so much for having me on. And you know what? Everyone out there, go out and put on a copy of Hysteria. It doesn't have to be the new version. It could be your old cassette from 1987. Listen to that album and experience the magic all over again. Great. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Joe.
What you just heard was Rocket by Def Leppard off Hysteria from 1987. That album is 30 years old this year. I mean, it's uh, totally mind-boggling to think. I know. I can't believe he played Rocket. That's actually my favorite song off that album. Yeah, there's so many great songs on on that record. and It's so good. <laughs> you know, it's, it's strange because when that record came out, I I didn't like it at first because I was more of like, you know, a hard rock guy and and just really loved those first three Def Leppard albums so much. And they had, you know, they were a little poppier than, than say, maybe ACDC, but they still had that kind of ACDC vibe to them. They were a little down and dirty. And Hysteria was more electronic, more slick. And I didn't initially like it for many years, but something turned as I got older and I just, now I love that record so much. And especially when you go see them in in concert and they just play those songs, they're, they're like, you know, I mean, those are the soundtrack. Those songs are like a soundtrack to, to our lives. And it's just, I get really emotional when I, when I see some of these bands pull out the, the old classics off of albums like Hysteria. Uh, Great stuff. Great stuff. Were you a Def Leppard fan? Oh, yeah, I've seen them a few times. Um, and I had hysteria. I had the tape. And girls loved that. Oh, my God. Girls loved hysteria. It it did have a little bit more of like a poppy feel to it, I think. Well, I mean, not poppy, but the songs were, I don't know. I hate, I, sometimes I describe it like the chorus of a song where it kind of gives you like a warm feeling inside. And I yeah. feel like definitely like a song like Armageddon it is one of those songs where you could listen to the chorus over and over and you don't care that they repeat it 37 times like right, totally you're you're okay with that because it just has that cool like oh my god this is so intense like i don't know it's weird like i always say to like guys like 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 hard rock and metal fans like guys like at least than ones i know like they sort of feel the music differently like i feel like they feel the music like in their hearts and in their gut you know yeah and like for women for women fans like we feel it in our vaginas and in (laughs) actually pretty much just there it kind of just stays in that area so we feel it a little differently but um i'm just kidding but (laughs) but that's one of those songs where girls are like oh my god you know swing your hair around like that's a swing your hair around kind of song you know yeah so absolutely cool well what what do you have coming up what what's going to be going on in in your life uh in the future do you have any gigs you want to talk about any podcasts coming up that you want to mention I do. I'm going to be on Talking Metal today, right <laughs> okay, now. Right. Yes. I'm just kidding. Um, no, I've got. I'm actually um, going back out on the road for the first time in a long time. Um, I'm going back on the road the next hmm, maybe six months. I don't have everything locked in totally yet, but I will be in St. Louis at the Funny Bone November 9th through the 12th, opening for Matt Eisman, who's the host of American Ninja Warrior. And he also won The Celebrity Apprentice. He's very, very, very funny. And so I'll be there with him. And then I have other shows in, in Nebraska and in Kentucky and, um, you know, all the big places. Right. And, uh, 
I just don't have them officially locked in yet. But when I do, I will uh, promote them and hope to see some friendly faces from the Kiss Cruise or the Rockin' Pod or one of my murderer fans who right. wants to put his arm around me and sing some songs. Um, please come to the shows and yeah. uh, thank you. Well, Courtney, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Talking Metal. Where, where is the best place people can get in touch with you online? I'm actually on Facebook now. I was a Facebook hater and I had like a fake, not a fake name, but I had my name like sort of, you know, <laughs> you couldn't find me on Facebook. Right. Then after the, after the last kiss cruise, I'm like, ah, oh, this is silly. I'm meeting all these terrific people. I want to stay in touch with them. So, um, my Facebook name is my full name, Courtney Cronin Dold. And I would love to be friends with you on Facebook if you'd love to be friends with me. And, uh, I'm also on Twitter and Instagram at, at Court Crow and Court Crow Dold. And everything I talk about pretty much is music related cool. or about you guys, about all these fun music podcasts. And then I go to a lot of basketball games. So you got to deal with a lot of my posts from the basketball games. But other than that, it's pretty much just music and fun stuff. Cool. And we'll have all those linked through today's show notes on Talking Metal, Courtney's Instagram and Twitter and Facebook page. So if you go to TalkingMetal.com into the podcasting section, the Talking Metal podcast section, that is, we'll have all that stuff up. Guys, remember to support what we do here with Amazon, with using our Amazon links. Just uh, before you go to Amazon, go to TalkingMetal.com and link on through to Amazon we get a kickback on that, and that helps us out. And there you can also sign up for our Patreon pledge account or use our PayPal account to make a donation. We appreciate your support, and you've been great with the Amazon links. We're really doing great with those. So thank you, guys. And thank you, Courtney. I really appreciate your time. You are welcome. And if you want to give blood uh, to Mark <laughs> and to John, you can also go. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Sorry. We'll, we'll take it. We'll take it. Whatever whatever people yeah. want to throw our way, including and blood, sorry. Facebook likes, whatever you want to do. Yes. And I'm sorry John's not here, although I should probably untie him and take the duct tape off now. Sorry. Yeah. I really wanted to do the show with Mark. Just yeah. stay. I'll get to you in a minute. You know, he uh, he would love to be here. He he's He's just getting back from the whole extravaganza of being out on the road with 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 Ace and it all kind of climaxing to this thing that took place a few days ago in uh where was it Minnesota I think right St. Paul, Minneapolis yeah. yes yeah, okay and yeah. uh, with Gene and Ace uh first on stage reunion uh, in 16 years I saw somebody posted a picture of of uh John Gene and Ace driving around in a golf cart, which I thought was just classic. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Go not yeah, golfing, that looks like... but yeah. I'm sorry. Not a golf cart, but what? No, not like – well, a... it was a golf cart. I was saying they weren't golfing, but maybe they were golfing. I don't know. But uh, no, I think they were just driving like from wherever the, the stage to uh... – <laughs> It's the first time Gene and Ace have played golf together in 16 years, everybody. <laughs> you wanted to be there to see them tee off. This right. is the worst joke I've ever written. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, no, no worries. All good. And we really enjoyed talking with you tonight. And again, we'll have those links up in today's show notes. And would love to catch you when you're out in the road. Hopefully, you'll come through the New Jersey or New York area. I hope so, too. I hope so, too. Thank you, Mark. You bet, Courtney. Thanks so much.
You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.